You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 10. Embedded deep inside the problem itself of getting rid of hate speech is sort of a- What is hate speech? A flaw that this, this yeah, like that this problem uh, can't be solved in the way that we're hoping it can be solved. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Well, I did it. The 10-episode challenge is complete. This is when I challenged myself to get started with 10 episodes and see how it goes, and then work to further refine this podcast. I learned a lot along the way. Uh, first, I learned that people really want some topical discussion, and I could do that in a unique way through the lens of my own experience. And that's what we're doing today when we talk again about Facebook and the moderation problem. I learned that it's okay to podcast on my own. People will listen to these solo shows. And also the interviews are great. So most of what I tried, I think, worked. Uh, I can be a little more flexible, which is basically what I wanted. Um, I think I figured out how to tie the topics that we talk about here to the theme of the show, uh, the local maximum. That's the name. That means that you're going to try to search for new ideas or try to find out where your old way of thinking is holding you back. And it's also an idea in machine learning about how to get our AIs to be more flexible as well. So I'm going to continue to interview people with interesting perspectives. I'm going to continue to talk about emerging technology and the promise it has for the future of humanity. And I'm going to continue to analyze current events from the unique perspective of a machine learning engineer. And that's what we're going to do today. Last week, I spoke about why Facebook and Twitter and YouTube are not able to solve their moderation problems, and it came from their basic approach to the problem. Assuming that there is a ground truth for this kind of content moderation, having people flag stuff, and then teaching the machines to identify that stuff. Well, guess what? I listened to Mark Zuckerberg's testimony in front of Congress uh, the, the following day, And he said exactly that. He confirmed exactly what I just said. Uh, He thinks he'll be able to solve the problem in this manner uh, directly, but in five to 10 years. Now, I get it. Running an online social network of 2 billion people around the world is a gargantuan task. But uh, they've adopted before, and I think they'll adopt again. And maybe within those five years, they'll have to take a different approach. Uh, to analyze parts of the Mark Zuckerberg testimony, I bring on my good friend. All right, Aaron, welcome to the program again. It's a pleasure to be here as always. I've been working on this show for a while. I um, I don't record this out of the studio. Sometimes, like today, I record out of my apartment. And I've, there's been someone singing uh, I think upstairs for like three hours. I don't know how that happened. Usually these walls are pretty thick, but uh, not today. So that's what living in New York is like. We'll keep our ears peeled for, for some background music. That might not be bad. Maybe I should go ask my neighbor if they want to sing background for uh, for the local maximum. <laughs> you know, How would you like to get an actual gig? Um, okay, so today we're talking about the Mark Zuckerberg testimony before Congress. Um, I've listened to a lot of podcasts and takes on this. So, you know, if you are worried we're not making the obvious jokes, it's because I've already heard like a thousand jokes about how this is like, you know, explaining Facebook to your grandparents or whatever. When these congressmen say, you know, uh, those young people using Facebook, they really mean like our parents. But, um, 
I, I think we're just going to talk about the substance of it. And I'm going to try to add, you know, what I know based on my experiences working on technology that is somewhat like this on a smaller scale. And let's see if we can try to get to the bottom of what's going on. Yeah, we'll we'll try not to retread too much of the territory that's been beaten to death already. Yeah, well, it was very interesting. I thought overall he did very well. Um, and obviously came back to the clip, which I know you heard of me uh, last week. And I thought it was very interesting that what I said last week about Facebook's overall mindset, which is that they just believe that they don't have good enough machine learning tools and they don't have enough uh, people on staff to moderate hate speech is, uh, you know, I, I kind of questioned their fundamental approach to the problem. And I think that uh, in the testimony, uh, Mark Zuckerberg kind of confirmed to me that that is indeed their approach. Uh, so maybe, let me just play the clip and, uh, and we'll react. Ready? Let's uh, go. That's clip number one. Hate speech is very linguistically nuanced, right? It's, you need to understand, um, you know, what is a slur and what, whether something is hateful, not just in English, but the majority of people on Facebook use it in languages that are different across the world. Um, contrast that, for example, with an area like finding terrorist propaganda, which we've actually been very successful at deploying AI tools on already. Hate speech, I'm optimistic that over a five to 10 year period, we will have AI tools that can uh, get into some of the nuances, the linguistic nuances of, of, of different types of content to be more accurate and flagging things for our systems. But today we're just not there on that. All right. That was a little bit edited, but uh, just edited for speed, uh, not changing the substance of what he said. Um, so a couple of things that are interesting to me about that. He mentioned that there were easy problems and hard problems. He did kind of uh, do that breakdown, kind of like I did the day before. Did you notice that? Yeah, it's it's there. There's definitely some low hanging fruit that can be can be caught there, uh, but this this is not a simple problem to resolve. Right. So one of the uh, things that we can do with machine learning very easily is say, okay, we have a bunch of texts that are of a certain type, and I want to find texts that are like these other texts. So for example, he mentioned, I think it was uh, ISIS propaganda. Well, you can write an algorithm that reads, you know, uh, 30 things that are 30 things. Why, why did I pick 30? I don't know. <laughs> Let's say million, like, uh, well, let's say a million or let's say at least a hundreds of thousands because these are hand-labeled things of, of examples of texts that look like ISIS propaganda. And then you could write something that immediately picks up on new texts that look exactly like these old texts. And so I agree with him that that's an easy problem. Right. And uh, that works until the people producing this propaganda, uh, whether it's ISIS or some other organization, realize that they're getting filtered and slightly change their behavior to make it through the filter. Oh and, yeah, and it's then you totally. have an arms race of how fast can we change our behavior and how fast can they update the the filter or the algorithm to to catch us as we do that. Yeah, it's totally a uh, adversarial problem, as we call it, and it's totally like you said, an arms race problem. But it's something that you could win at least in the short term, and in order to win it in the long term, you have to just you have to keep training it and you have to go go in on it. But when it comes to hate speech in general. It's not only just this problem on a larger scale, which is what they think it is, but there's kind of a twist to this arms race where it's not like 
everyone is going to agree on what is and isn't an example of hate speech, where I think you could have people in a room agree what is an, is an example of ISIS propaganda, particularly since the people who are looking at are looking at this are, you know, just employees in California, right? They're just American employees in California. So they all have the same frame of reference. They all agree what ISIS propaganda is. But when it comes to hate speech in general, all over the world, you know, I don't think, first of all, I don't think that people all over the world would agree with that. Um, and I don't think that their particular people and staff can come to an agreement on, on what is and what isn't. Well, a- absolutely. I, I think at, at, at the simplest, if you got a random sampling of people from across the United States into a room together, I don't think they would necessarily agree on what hate speech is. Uh, however, it's, it's an even more complicated problem than that because, you know, if I, I, I was going to say who I, I don't know what the legal definition of hate speech is, uh, and so in, in moments ago I pulled up the Wikipedia page on hate speech, and there are uh, at least a couple of dozen different countries under the listings for uh, hate speech laws by country, uh, and they are uh, each presumably slightly different, if not significantly different. And Facebook, uh, they they play in an international world where uh, you know. Can, for, for someone who's posting from South Africa, do they apply the South African hate speech uh, restrictions or do they apply the European ones because it's being uh, presented on the, the feed of somebody in Europe or or do they take whatever the most, uh, most strict and restrictive of those is and then how does that play into free speech? And it's – even if you take out the question of whether or not personal biases are coming into play, if you if you simply look at how do I comply with the law, that's that's not a simple problem either. Yeah, and then there's another problem of, like you said, uh, the reaction from the community, the reaction from the people doing the hate speech is they're good. not only are you going to have different community standards, but people are going to change their words over time. I mean, as some people, you know, like to complain, oh, the PC police change their definition of what's allowed and what isn't over time. And so, you know, hate speech is going to evolve and morph over time and people will come up with new and clever ways uh, to say things that are offensive. And then other people are going to come up with new and clever ways of being offended by different things. And it, we're going to see a speed up of this international conversation, um, which is kind of mind-boggling. Yeah, you, you saw a lot of uh, coverage of that type of thing during the, the 2016 election with all this discussion of, of dog whistles. Uh, and, you know, yeah, while someone yeah, may not be saying whistles. something that is a, an explicitly racist word or phrase, they're saying something else, which uh, at least to some people in the audience is clearly intended to, to be a workaround to that, that, well, what they're what they're trying to say is X, but they can't say X, so they're saying Y. But we all know that they mean X, and right. I, I don't want to get into whether that is a correct assessment. But the fact that that discussion is being had means that there's there's a lot a lot of depth and complexity to what's going on here. Yeah, I made the prediction that I don't think that their approach to just try to machine learn this based on examples is going to work. And it's interesting that he gave the. Uh, he, he gave a timeline, which is, I think, the timeline that people usually give when it's off the top of their head, which is from five to 10 years. And I understand, look, you know, I make a lot of predictions, right? And this is because uh, I and I, I recognize this because I make the same mistake. If I think something is really difficult and it's not happening, but it should be happening. And I don't know why I'll often say that I'll often give that five to 10 year answer. And I think sometimes that five to 10 year answer just means that 
it's not a problem that can be solved in a way that I think it can be solved. It's like, well, if there's some narrow AI thing that hasn't been done by 2018, maybe it'll be done by, you know, 2023. Whereas usually that just like narrow AI is something that can be done. And it means that there's something subtle about this problem that maybe, uh, maybe it can't be done in that way. Well, so, so are you saying it's dependent on a breakthrough that hasn't occurred yet? Or, or is that overstating the hurdle? No, I think it's not that, I think it's not that there's a breakthrough that hasn't occurred yet. I think that the problem that he's the the statement of the problem is actually uh, inside the problem itself, embedded deep inside the problem itself of getting rid of hate speech is sort of a what is hate speech? a flaw that this this yeah like that this problem. Uh, can't be solved in the way that we're hoping it can be solved. Fair enough. Yeah. It's all tangled up in itself. Yeah. So right now he's got, what did he say? 20,000 people looking through uh, these messages. It's people from, well, I'm sure, I assume they hire people from all over the world, um, but still it's a very non-representative sample. I mean, the world is, uh, is, I mean, look, this is the first social network with what? 2 billion people. So they're finding out that things that work in your local community or even in a, a single nation with like, you know, a, a, a small set of languages and, and a shared culture uh, is just not going to work for those 2 billion. Well, and, and you've, you've talked on a previous episode about localization, I think is the right term. Um, and, and I'm sure yeah. that at Facebook, they have a significant team focused on that. Absolutely. I, I wonder if they also have... Uh, teams doing what what I might refer to as regionalization, where there are some things where you're, you're trying to make it so that that everybody, no matter where they are, can access the information in a way that makes sense to them. But there might be some types of information that you're trying to uh, serve only to a, a certain subset. And I wonder if that's the, the type of thing, if they've put much effort into that type of thing, or if that's completely counter to their mission. Um, well, they certainly have with ads, but right. Uh, yeah, I, I guess yeah, that would be the, see- the flip side of that coin is is targeted advertising, which is very much what got us into this issue in the first place. <laughs> they weren't being right, called right. Uh, before before Congress because of uh, of their failure to to limit hate speech. Although that got a lot of airtime, it was it was some other things that they did yeah. that got them there. They got a lot of airtime because it's a, it's probably more interesting. Uh, particularly more interesting to uh, you know to to Congress um, because they're sort of in the world of trying to track what the national conversation yeah, is. Yeah, and then so, um, and you could bet all of those people do targeted advertising when it comes. Oh, to their absolutely! Campaigns too. It would it's it's a waste of money not to. Why would you serve ads to people who yeah. are not at all receptive to your message? Yeah, or who are already going to yeah. vote for you. That's the flip side to it. You don't you don't want to waste your time on on them. Well, you might want to try them to get their friends to to vote, but if they're totally on board and you can't get them on board more, then well, this this know. gets to another topic that that I think we talked a little bit about uh, gerrymandering in a previous context. But um, the whole oh, electoral yes. college is uh, maybe it's not based on the concept of targeted advertising, but it certainly uh, encourages that approach uh, because. Uh, yeah. broad-based advertising to the nation as a whole or splitting your your message equally across every county or every state is not an effective way to try and win a U.S. presidential election. Oh, yeah. And that would be true even if it were a popular vote system um, because, like you said, you'd want to uh, focus on those median voters. 
Yeah, it's 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 that uh, ever elusive, undecided, or or swing voter. Who? Yeah, yeah. It's just the, the electoral college kind of changes where those are. Absolutely. So one one thing that that I don't right, think so we've explicitly talked about. We we may have hinted at it, and and I think it it, it came up in the context of, um, uh, p- perhaps in the context of Diamond and Silk, which you mentioned in the in the previous episode. Uh, yeah, well, that's that's okay, what well, I want to get I'm just going to throw out one word, and uh, I'm sure we're going to cycle back to this, but uh, censorship. So go on. Yeah. Right. Well, actually, I mean, I brought up Diamond and Silk as an example of. Uh, group who had been recently, you know, uh, censored or banned from Facebook for whatever reason. I don't think they were actually banned. I think that they were just demoted by Facebook. Um, and, you know, their impression of it was, you know, Facebook is censoring us for our political beliefs. I had no idea that this was going to come up in Congress. <laughs> I was watching this, like one congressman or senator had like a big picture of Dom- Diamond and Silva. And he's like, do you know who this is, Mr. Zuckerberg? And he's like, yes. And I just pictured like, um, as he was preparing for the night before, he had to go through and like, you know, watch three hours of Diamond and Silk clips <laughs> uh, as part of the uh, as part of the process, which is kind of a, a, a funny image in, in my mind. Um, okay, but he answered the questions and I thought it was very interesting the way he answered. First of all, you know, Diamond and Silk themselves, and I think a lot of conservatives online feel that they are being personally targeted by the people at Facebook and and some of these other social networks, Google or Whatever, and I think that uh, when it comes to Congress, they have maybe a. Well, there is a problem. I would agree that there is a problem, but I think that particularly the way uh, Congress, some of the the, uh, the the people in Congress are talking about it, they have a a warped view of the way this whole thing's worked. So let me talk about what Mark Zuckerberg said happened, and then we could kind of speculate on how we think this happened. So. He said that there was no hate speech in what they were saying. They're just supporting the president. I mean, I think someone literally said, like, you know, is it hate speech for two African-American women to support our president? And he said, no, there's no problem with that. And he said it was. Yeah, and I think everybody in, involved in the discussion, except for maybe some some very fringe people, uh, agrees with that stipulation yeah. that, that no, nothing they were saying qualifies as hate yeah, speech. Yeah, Although um, – just like we talk about this, I mean, that's the discussion in this country, right? Now imagine, uh, and we'll get back to Diamond and Silk for a second, but this just came to my mind, like imagine someone in Russia says, hey, is it wrong for me to post stuff online to support my president? Or imagine someone in Syria right now saying, is it, long, is it wrong for me to go online and post something about my president? Uh, I could imagine we're, you know, it, it, it won't be as clear cut uh, when as soon as we go international, yeah, and and we like to think that that here in America we have uh, kind of the gold standard of free speech, uh, and and compared to many other places on on Earth, that we we are perhaps uh, at the top of the pile in that respect. But I think it was our our second U.S. president. Uh, enacted the, uh, what is it, the Alien and Sedition Acts, yeah, yeah, which basically sedition. made it a, a crime to speak against your government. Uh, and, and you know, you, 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 we literally can't say, well, it can't happen here because it already has at some point in our history. Sure, sure, sure. But what I'm saying is I, I think we all agree that 
being in the political debate like this is fine. But if you extend that to to internationally, I'm just saying it gets very murky. But let's talk about. Yeah. I, I think some in Congress. I mean, somebody, you know, asked him if this kind of bias was intentionally built into the algorithm, and that is. Um, just not how it works. I don't think any engineer would do that. It would be like a very big distraction of what you're trying to do when you're trying to build these algorithms, try to pick out uh, the offending sites, uh, because that's a hard enough problem in and of itself. And if this were literally what they're doing, there would be a whistleblower. So I just don't think there are, are multiple, actually. So I don't think that that's the issue at all. I agree with Mark Zuckerberg here. I think that it is, it was uh, what he called an enforcement error. That really means it was a human error, right? But what is a human error here? Is it someone with differing perceptions of what, of what should and shouldn't be? Is it, I, I happen to think that it's probably what we talked about last time. It's the Nassim Taleb minority rule where there was a small group of people, you know, flagging the heck out of these videos. If you get a small group of people who are willing to go to distance and willing to pool all their resources together and downvote a single target, I think that that minority group, uh, who, whoever it is, if it's just you know enemies of X, you know should be able to take down X uh, pretty easily. Should, should be or or are able to? Uh, are like okay. I like. Well, well it should be in case terms in of point, that, any online yeah. poll you've ever seen, because once somebody sees it and they send a link out, it's really easy to swing that in whatever direction you want just by getting people to come out of the woodwork for you. Oh, yeah. And the right, online, it's the same thing with online polls. That is a very good observation. It's very hard to take those seriously. It's basically like who on Twitter cares, like if it's a Twitter poll, it's like who on Twitter cares more about this issue, not necessarily what the majority would say. Now, do you think it's it's one of those issues where it's the users themselves who have been flagging it, or is it the um, the enforcers? Well, that's, on the other end? that's a good question because yeah. it's it's unclear to me from the way he described it whether uh, so clearly there is a, a quote unquote human in the loop at at Facebook who was involved in this decision. Whether it was a human reviewing. Uh, user complaints and user flags, or if it was a human reviewing some sort of AI that was reviewing content and brought it to the attention of a human user, uh, but but yeah, somehow it ended up on on this this content checker's desk, and they they clicked uh, to to you know disable or shut it down or demonetize it or whatever whatever the the action taken against this particular channel yeah. was, and w- which. My my perspective on this is it's a very different human error than what we were talking about in episode zero, episode one, with the uh, Hawaiian, um, yeah, incoming ballistic missile false alarm. That suppose that from what it's it's been described was a human error in that you know somebody clicked the wrong button, not that somebody that- thought they were doing the right thing, uh, and and it turned out later that they had made a poor decision, uh, you know, perhaps based on bad information or because their criteria was was not. As uh, as well designed as as it as, sh- as it should have been, but they completely understood what they were doing. Um, whereas right. in Hawaii, uh, it, it sounds like the person didn't realize that's what they were doing. <laughs> well, let me give you an example from s- some of the things that we face uh, at Foursquare that could have led up to it. Uh, so we have a bunch of 
kind of what what could be called like right wing spam ads that sometimes make their way into the system that we have to get rid of. Um, ironically, a lot of these ads come from Facebook, but, <laughs> uh, but you know, it, it would be a, you'd you'd check into your local coffee shop and you just get like a way over the top. You know, well, if this were two years ago, like Obama set to declare himself dictator of the world, you know, type of type of stuff. Nobody wants to hear that stuff when they're just uh, trying to enjoy their coffee. And so, you know, we try to filter out those ads. And so you have an epidemic of those ads that we're used to seeing. You also have a lot of people who work in tech who have kind of a left-leaning point of view. So they're particularly annoyed by those types of ads. So you can kind of see a situation where when something gets flagged to that effect, uh, you know, you sort of make an assumption as to what it is without looking into it too carefully. Yeah, it's, it's, it's easy to start lumping things together. Yeah. And so, I mean, I don't know how to deal with this. Can you have uh, like a group diverse enough to check these by, by committee, uh, which seems kind of crazy? Well, right. Yeah. And if, if, if you're trying to use uh, a, a wide widespread of diversity to inoculate yourself against these kinds of failures, now that implies that you're going to have people double, triple, quadruple checking these decisions to make sure that one person doesn't uh, doesn't allow their personal bias to flow into it. And I, I don't know how realistic that's going to be. If you want to make your one goal, we want to make sure that we don't offend the Republicans and we want to make sure that we don't offend the Democrats. And so we're going to have kind of a uh, a bipartisan look at this, then I think if that's the one problem that you're focused on solving, you could probably solve that one problem by having like two sides of the coin. But the, the point right, is but, not but by fight. focusing on that, you're necessarily excluding other possible spins oh, on. Oh yeah, yeah. And how do you get all the various degrees you're, you're of opinions from all over the world? Yeah. Um, and the fact that all, all these the so-called two sides in America have really multiple different sides, and it's um, right, and that's happening and, all and, over and, the world in different ways in every country. So, uh, and, and if you have a multi-layer review process where where someone's making a decision and then somebody's you know double or like I said triple quadruple checking it to make sure that they they haven't miscalled it, what what is your your? I guess default is not the right term, but but in you know, for, for for example, in baseball, the tie goes to the runner. So if if your layers of decision making here disagree, what is the 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 position that you default to? Do you default to letting the information through? Do you default to if we can't come to a decision, we block it? Because uh, there's the the outcomes of that are are fundamentally different, and and it. It's based on a, a very different philosophy of what your role is in this in this yeah. information space and community. Well, it sounds like you would have several different committees, each of which could let the information go through. Um, but it sounds like a nightmare to manage, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't want to have to design or run anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe we could take a, uh, like a, a fat tail perspective, you know, the, now, Diamond and Silk, they're pretty popular as I understand it. I don't have their numbers in front of me. But I think the question is, if you have a group of – if you want to look at a group of you know, podcasters or video makers or posters or whatever, um, there's like the fat tail of people who don't have a lot of listeners. Uh, that's me for now. <laughs> but 
There's uh, also a group of people who are very popular, and that group is pretty small. So probably for that group, you can you know, put a lot of resources towards being fair to that group. But then is that fair overall? And is that, you know, if, if you kind of spend more resources in ensuring that the, uh, that the big guys aren't, are treated fairly, are not booted unfairly, then again, you're becoming a platform for, um, for you're becoming a platform for the incumbents essentially. Right. Yeah. Is Facebook or, or YouTube or whatever platform it is, places where the participants, the content generators who are big money makers for them get their way and they cater to them? Or is it a place where the consumers, the users, uh, are the ones they're catering to? Yeah. Uh, and are those two aligned or are they not? And And then, of course, uh, if once you decide who your primary audience is, how do you protect the kind of minority view, minority stake? Absolutely, absolutely. We want our uh, listeners to weigh in. If you do have a point of view on this, we can talk about it on the air, localmaxradio at gmail.com. I want to go through to one more thing that uh, Mark Zuckerberg said that I found very interesting, something that uh, they're trying to do at Facebook that I think is going to be much easier said than done. So let me. Well, while while you're pulling yeah. that up, one I have to put in my password that... and my. Uh, <laughs> here. All right, I've got it. Well, yeah. I, I hope it was a very secure password. With uh, what, what's what's the current standard now? It's uh, you need characters uh, and and le- letters, numbers, uppercase, lowercase, special characters. Uh, no I'm not spaces. giving you. I'm not giving you any information <laughs> about my password. Good thing this is an audio show. I hope nobody gets it by like listening to what keys. The, the sound of the keys. Yeah. Mm, I'm going to have to edit that out um, if that sound made it in. All right. Let's uh, – do you have one more thing to say or do you want to listen to it? Uh, yeah. So uh, – and, and we've, we've talked a little bit about this uh, already, but I, I thought it was particularly interesting that when one of the congressmen uh, asked him about um, – the type of censorship that Facebook is, is doing. And he, he very uncomfortably, but, but, but very, very, very assertively said that, well, I don't see what we do as censorship. Uh, And, and that's, that's, that's kind of gilding the lily there. I, I think what, what they're doing absolutely is censorship, but they feel like it's the right kind of censorship. And so they, they shouldn't be tarred with that dirty word. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, (laughs) <laughs> because we we all agree that there are some things that well maybe we don't all agree but all the people in that room there are some things they agree should be censured and and right. I, I don't think anyone was going to come out and say well you've been doing a great job uh, filtering out all of that that ISIS propaganda but you shouldn't be because they deserve a voice too there was nobody in that room who was going to take that stance yeah um, but but there are certainly find people out who there who would yeah. yeah they they just aren't sitting on that committee in Congress right right right. I, I understand why he said it in that way. Um, I think that, you know, I, I don't it, think it makes it seem a little talk. slimy that he was he was working the 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 terminology like that. But then again, yeah, but given you, his you company know, in that room, well I, yeah, you know as well as I, he can't say, "Well, these are, this is our censorship strategy." Yeah, well, and and, and they didn't even get into the whole discussion about what they may or may not be doing to cooperate with with the Chinese, you know, the great firewall of China so that they can play in that market because they want all 1 billion of those users. 
yeah, yeah. I know I know nothing yeah. about what yeah, it's doing it, there. It's but certainly again, an interesting it, topic, but yeah, I'm not prepared to, to discuss it in any detail. Yeah. Like I said, in every country they're gonna not only have to deal with the government, but the local the local sensibilities as well. Yeah. So all right. So let's uh let's hear uh the philosophical shift. I would say that we're going through a broader philosophical shift in how we approach our responsibility as a company. For the first 10 or 12 years of the company, I viewed our responsibility as primarily building tools that if we could put those tools in people's hands, then that would empower people to do good things. What I think we've learned now across a number of issues, not just data privacy, but also fake news and foreign interference in elections, is that we need to take a more proactive role and a broader view of our responsibility. It's not enough to just build tools. We need to make sure that they're used for good. And that means that we need to now take a more active view in policing the ecosystem um, and in watching and kind of looking out and, and making sure that all of the members in our community are using these tools in a way that's going to be good and healthy. All right, I'm going to stop it there to summarize what he just said. The old way of thinking was we're going to build tools that are useful to people. We're going to put them out there and they could use it however they want. Um, but the new, the new sensibility is, no, we also have to consider uh, how these tools are being used. Then if they're not being used in the way we think they should be used, or they're not being used for you know, what we see as good, then we have to remove these tools from the wrong hands. And so I think this is, again, easier said than done. It sounds good, but uh, for the same reason that this hate speech issue is sort of a very, very, very difficult problem. I think what he's talking about here is also a very difficult problem. Well, and, and this isn't a new problem. It's something we've been hearing about for, for over a decade because it, it gets back to um, the whole revolution in, in media rights. Uh, you, you constantly hear uh, the early digital music providers. Uh, well, they weren't really digital music providers, but they were the sources we were getting our digital music from. So your your Napsters and and the series of successors there, uh, as well as things like uh, the developers of Torrents and, and BitTorrent and the Pirate Bay. So we're creating a platform that enables users to share data. And it, it has legitimate uses. It just so happens that some people are using it to share things that maybe they shouldn't be, but that's not our responsibility as the platform provider. We simply provide the platform and the users are responsible for any data they, they upload or download from that system. And, and for a long time, Facebook was taking that, that same approach and YouTube and, and, and other sites that, yeah, we're, we, we, we can't possibly be expected to police what the users put up there. We're not generating that content. We're simply the platform on which they share it. Uh, and, and it sounds like those days are over. Oh, yeah. For, for these types of platforms, absolutely. I feel like they have the power to police or at least to attempt to police their platforms. And I think now they are kind of expected to do that. But this whole idea sort of clashes with what could be called the new internet that's being built. I guess it's kind of funny because I don't know if you've been watching Silicon Valley, but that whole thing is about building the new internet. But the uh, the, the, the new internet that I talk about is the whole uh, you know crypto network idea like Bitcoin. And um, well, if we go back to Tor, you know, Tor... An onion routing. That's a technology that I believe was uh, developed at the Department of Defense to hide where you are uh, online. And now that it's out there, you can't stop anyone from using this tool. Same goes with these cri cryptocurrencies. It's out there and just by design, you can't stop anyone from using it. It's not like somebody is unwilling to 
to try. It's it's that you literally can't. Yeah, you can't unring the bell, so to speak, and, and particularly with something that is decentralized. So, uh, in the case of Tor, uh, in the case of of uh, of cryptocurrency, this is absolutely true because it's not like you can uh, issue a court order. Uh, and show up at Facebook and say we're shutting you down. You know, pull the plug on your on all your servers. That could happen, but you can't do that to Bitcoin. You can't do that to to the Tor network. Uh, you 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 can't do that with um, cr- certain types of cryptography because once the algorithm has been put out there in the world and it's not sitting in a single place, somebody's copied it and and it's been exported. You can't remove that from the knowledge base. Yeah. So in the next decade, it seems to me that these social media platforms. And I think we, we agree uh, when it comes to like things like Facebook and Twitter and all that. Um, they're going to be living in a strategy where they're trying to police their tools. But then you're also going to have a bunch of developers uh, intentionally developing unpoliceable tools. I actually read an anti-Bitcoin article the other day, and I think it ended with, you know, it's Somalia on purpose or something like that. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, it's one of these articles that you know, make me more bullish on it. It's just like, uh, like I said, uh, Krugman's article back in 2013 when I was talking about it, when he was like, my pieces of paper are fine. Thank you very much. It's like such a ridiculous argument that, that it makes me like it more. There are some people when they argue against you, it, it only makes you more confident because if, if they disagree yeah, yeah. with me, I must be right. Yeah. But coming back to the point, you have these intentionally unpoliceable tools competing against these tools that are going to be policed by you know, uh, armies of uh, engineers and labelers and people who are trying to understand different cultures. And we're going to have kind of a clash of civilizations here. And the the market or the course of time is going to sort out where these two types of platforms live in relationship to each other. And I think that's something that is, we'll sort of find out how that goes in the next 10 years, but that'll be some of the most interesting developments that are that are coming up. I don't want to speculate on how this turns out. This is one thing where I, I'm literally throwing up my hands and having no idea, but I will speculate that they will both be living side by side in 10 years. Yeah, I I, I think it absolutely will. In, in a lot of ways, you could draw some parallels to uh, content generation and and uh, the the internet and uh, the, the internet now and and the cable and network uh, worlds previously that the, the shift to a lot of uh, innovative new content and content that wouldn't be allowed on television networks to, to thriving in an internet world hasn't meant that your, your network uh, television and, and cable networks have dried up and gone away. They're, they're still there and they're still playing a very uh, important role, uh, even if they are regulated by the FCC and, and, and many other uh, you know, government as well as self-regulatory restrictions they're still alive and perhaps not thriving, but but they're doing just fine. Uh, however, there's uh, a whole new piece of medium that's grown up alongside that and taken advantage of a lot of the things that that didn't have a place in the old medium. And and I think we're going to see another round of that in terms of this centralized decentralized uh, paradigm that that you've talked about before. Yeah. But what's going to happen now when if Congress is upset or there's some outrage, if people misuse these tools that are fundamentally uncensorable, like what is what is going to be the reaction 
Like, are we going to get a similar reaction and then people are going to be stomping their feet that there's nothing they could do about it? Or, what, you know, what is going to be, or are people just going to come to terms with it and it's going to be sort of a, well, this is how it is, but you want to go on Facebook and they're policed a little better. So you should go on Facebook for that. You, you know, probably know Facebook. more about, about what I'm going to mention next than I do. So maybe you can fill me and the well, listeners I, in. Okay. Uh, but so... Uh, I believe there was in China uh, a a backlash against uh, Bitcoin, and and they did, did they outlaw the trading or, or shut down exchanges uh, in, in China? I don't know. I know what the memes say. The memes <laughs> say that like, China plans to you know uh, ban Bitcoin, and then the price goes down, and then they all buy, and then it's like, oh, we didn't buy Bitcoin anymore. They usually they have like the South Park guy. Meme. Uh, but so I don't. I, I when you've only gotten your news through memes, I, I'm I'm not. Well, it's very, it's, it's the Daily Show problem. I, I've only got my news. Through, yeah, so I don't. I'm not very uh, confident in my knowledge of the situation. But so so whether it is true or not, it, it's it's setting forth a case of there is a, a government that feels threatened by the way a certain tool is being used, and they uh, attempt to to shut it down or to exert some control over it. But fundamentally, it's not something that can be shut down or controlled in that fashion. What, what's the outcome there? And, yeah. and, and I don't think the story is done being written on that. Um, I, I think if, if Bitcoin continues to – and other cryptocurrencies continue to increase their influence, you, you are going to see organized governments trying to not necessarily shut it down, but exert more control over it through some sort of, of regulatory action. Um, and, and I don't know how that's going to play out. Sure. I, it's, a, it's a process of, of trying and trying and begrudging acceptance. But that actually reminds me of another recent article that uh, I read coming out of China where, you know, when Kim Jong-un came to China, uh, the Chinese government actually censored, they banned people from typing Kim Jong-un into, uh, on the internet. Um, I don't know how they do that on the whole internet. I don't know. But you, um, you can't type those characters in because they didn't want people you know, mentioning his name as he was coming through for diplomatic reasons. So as I read it, a bunch of Chinese uh, people started writing uh, what could be translated as fatty on the train <laughs> instead of Kim Jong-un <laughs> and, uh, as a way to get around the censors. And it actually got around, it was actually ended up be, being uncensored, which is uh, you know crazy. <laughs> so they can't even solve the problem, even though they have the power to censor out any phrase uh, people are just smart enough to come up with another phrase, which well, right, seems like it backfired because it doesn't sound very diplomatic. If you censorship just is, talking about is a very blunt tool, and and so uh, you you can use it to to hammer away at things, but it's it's not necessarily going to have the desired effect. Yeah, yeah. All right, so that's all I have to say on that issue. I think the the book is yet unwritten on this, and. Uh, we're just going to have to, um, I mean, this is one reason for starting this podcast. We're going to have to keep exploring this and uh, see how it goes over the next well, so, few years. So, so. Be, before we sign off, uh, yeah. we've, we've been talking a lot about, yeah, you, you, you said you thought Zuckerberg did, did as, as well as could be expected uh, in his testimony. Yeah. Uh, what is your faith in, perhaps not necessarily uh, – the, the narrow question of, of Facebook solving this problem, because I, I, from what we've said, I, I think you're saying which, that, which problem? that, well, yeah. I, I'm going to pose it as a much broader question. Facebook, yeah. buy or sell? Would, would, given the outcome of, oh. of these hearings, would you be comfortable investing in, in Facebook stock or, or would you hedge against it? 
and 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 looking at the Honestly, long term, I not think, not the not the immediate short term. Yeah, I think that um, they kind of remind me of Microsoft in two thousand, where everybody because he was accused of being a monopolist in there, which I don't right. think they are, um, but. Um, where they're accused of being a monopoly, but they're really not. It's really a, a temporary situation where they seem very dominant. But, uh, you know, that being said, Microsoft, I think, is still much more valuable today than it was back in 2000. Am I, um, am I wrong about that? So I think they're going to continue to grow, uh, maybe just not at the, at the pace that, uh, that they were, but they're going to become well, a much more. I, I can't answer the question on Microsoft's uh, uh, valuation, but I can say that the Microsoft today is a very different company than it was then because they've been forced to adapt in some dramatic right. ways. Which, which to say that Facebook will not adapt in dramatic Facebook. ways, I think would be a, a foolish assumption. Yes, yeah, so I, I, I would say hold. That's the same thing as I said yesterday, as I said uh, last week when I was trying to figure out where Facebook was in its life cycle. I said safe to assume somewhere in the middle. So why don't I stick with that? I would say, I would say, hold okay, so Facebook. you said holds now, yeah. now for, for clarification, does, do, do you own any current uh, shares in Facebook that you, you wish to disclose to our viewing audience? Not that I know of. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> me, me either. Unless it's, it's something that I hold in like an index fund. Right. Exactly. I, you know, it's possible. <laughs> um, but uh, not, I don't. Uh, so, so, so that, that covers our butts with, with the FCC or, or is it the FTC that uh, we, we are not, we're not giving any advice, which uh, is intended to inflate our, our personal fortunes. Uh, Wait, are you, on, saving, are you legally space. saving my ass here? Is that what's happening? Because I had no <laughs> I, idea about it. I'm, I'm honestly not sure whether we are required to make such a disclosure or not, but but it has been okay. done. Okay, so we better do it just to um, keep... Uh, also, we are not lawyers. If you require a lawyer, consult one who is, uh, who is qualified in the field you require. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, if you require a podcaster, call me. Um, okay, is that? A, I think that's about it, right? I think so. All right. Thanks a lot. Let's uh, maybe you'll come back on to see what kind of responses we get on localmaxradio.com. And uh, thanks for your help. Yeah, I, I look forward to being back. By the way, I should mention that Aaron quit Facebook almost entirely. Uh, I haven't. I'm still on Facebook. I'm big on Facebook. But I feel like we should have pointed that out in terms of full disclosure. By the way, that's why you can't find Aaron anywhere. It's like he doesn't exist, like a ghost in the digital realm. Anyway, I'm going to New Haven this week to speak at Yale. And I'll push out an episode if I can, if the, uh, if the technology cooperates. And then I'm going to San Francisco where I have some product-based interviews expected. So... Uh, some interesting stuff, some a lot of bot-related stuff. So subscribe to The Local Maximum and stay tuned for that. That's the show. If you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. This show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you want to keep up, remember to follow The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at MaxClock. Have a great week. Feel the power. She said, I don't care what you say. You're going to see me shine
dangerous. Uh, dangerous yeah. to our community. Is that that's what you're saying? I mean, I don't I don't get that. It's offensive. It's appalling. I look at this as discrimination. I look at this as freedom of speech. What about our freedom of speech? It's a censorship. You are censoring our voices. So I'd like to ask you: Do you subjectively manipulate your algorithms to prioritize or censor speech? 